From WDBM East Lansing, this is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later in the program, music editor Rich Tupica plays a Michigan song for us. And I'll talk to MSU political scientist Matt Grossman about the 2020 presidential campaign. First up, though, our reporter Cole Tunningley has been on the streets of downtown Lansing for the two last two weeks covering the protests uh, that grew out of the uh, police killing of George Floyd. He files this report. People around the country have had enough of police brutality. In Lansing, a protest against police brutality in the wake of George Floyd's killing in Minneapolis took a violent turn two Sundays ago, when rioters burned a car, broke windows, beat up protesters, and threw water bottles at the police, who put a stop to that with tear gas. Since then, protesters have marched daily, twice to Andy Shore's house, where he finally met with them a week after the violence. The man who started these protests is named Paul Birdsong. He was there on Sunday, and he hasn't stopped coming back since. I came out on um, Sunday where everybody else came out, and I just thought, like, all this nonsense that happened and everything else, I just didn't think that, you know, anybody really got the point for real. Mm -hmm. So on Monday, I came back, and uh, I just got on the ground right there in the same position as him. And uh, then a couple other people joined me, and we stayed, and it rained on us, and it got real cold. And I sent everyone home, and they're like, when can we do it again? I said, I'll be back tomorrow. And then I came back the next day and did it again. And then, you coming back tomorrow? Okay. And I came back tomorrow, and then now I'm here again, and I'll be here every day until what we get, what we want, we get. What they want, first and foremost, is Mayor Andy Shore to resign. If the protests have passed by your house or your apartment, you've probably heard them yelling, Andy Shore, resign, or some variation on that. They also want de-escalation and unbiased training for the police, and they want these training sessions to be open for public viewing. They want to reopen the two Shabazz Academies in Lansing and reopen the Black Child and Family Institute. They want more mental health professionals working in the police force, and they want to fund all this with money from the police and public services budget. Since Paul has started marching, he's amassed quite a bit of a crowd. It seems as though a lot of people agree with him that Lansing needs some change, especially the police department. Um, it, it has fluctuated. It went up and down. Yesterday it was at its peak. Yesterday it was like 300 people out here. Um, today, you know, as you can see, it's probably like 60 people out here. But like I said, you know, um, people are showing up, people are helping, you know, the numbers are here, the numbers are here for us to be able to get the point across. So that's what we're gonna do, you know what I'm saying? Um, If it was five people here, like when it was five people here, I would still be laying in the middle of the street. Song's particular form of protest is designed to keep things peaceful. And he's done a pretty good job of that so far. His group hasn't broken any windows, they haven't set a dumpster on fire or flipped over a car. Typically, they march, they lay down on the ground like George Floyd, and then they go back to the Capitol. Still, though things have remained generally peaceful, Birdsong has had a few encounters with police and white supremacists along the way. They're an unavoidable reality of this type of protest. Uh, My first interaction with them, we got into a fight on Sunday. 
Um, I mean, he, he grabbed me first. I'm, I'm not Martin Luther King. I'm more Malcolm X. I will punch you if you touch me. So, you know, he, he grabbed me, I swung. Wow. This is how it went. Uh, my second interaction was on uh, Monday. Um, they set up barricades for us so we didn't get hit. Because, like, three people drove by and tried to run over my head while I was in the middle of the street. Oh, my God. Um, so then after that happened, the next day we came back and he tried to tell us we couldn't be there. So I told him, I said, man, if we go marching, you know, people are going to get involved and I'm not going to have any control over the situation. Yeah. If you let us have this little 50 feet of space we're asking for, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. But one way or another, we will be heard. Either you will give us this 50 feet of space or we're going to march. Right. So you choose. Go talk to your superiors. There's a video online about it. You go talk to your superiors and, and see what they say. If they tell us to move still, then we're marching. He went back, talked to the superiors. They let us have our space. You know what I'm saying? Uh, then then uh, uh, yesterday, we had the cops ask us what we're doing and try to, like, block off the road for us. We told them to leave. We chased them away. We ran towards them real fast, and they had to turn around and move. Wow. And then we just blocked it off. by Because we don't – if they're going to get involved, they need to get involved for real. They need to get out of their car, leave their gun, leave their taser, leave their mace in the car. Birdsong said this last Thursday. Since then, the police actually have gotten involved. They've been barricading off-roads for the protesters, keeping an eye on altercations, stuff like that. Typically, Birdsong's marches involve three cars driven by protesters in the front, three cars driven by protesters in the back, to keep people safe. And, you know, to make sure that no car tries to ram them while they're walking down the road. On most days, there's also a police presence. Sometimes three police cars in back tailing us. Sometimes the police just block off the intersection so the protesters can lay down safely and do their peaceful protest. Despite the potential danger, despite multiple warnings from white supremacists threatening to shoot up the protests, people still keep coming out. Birdsong doesn't really think it has much to do with him. Even though he's been positioned as the leader of this movement, he views himself as just a regular person. He thinks people keep coming out because of their passion. And I think it's just the cause. I don't think it's me. I don't think really I have anything to do with it. You know what I think it is? Honestly, I think I'm the first one to lay down like that. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm the first one probably they seen stand by myself in front of a group of cops and, and stand against them mm -hmm. right here. So I think... When, they, when certain people saw that, they got involved. Then when they see more than one person doing it, then other people join in, and then yeah. other people, it gains momentum. Yeah. I don't think it really has anything to do with me, personally. For guidance on how to lead his protests and how to make sure his demands get met, Birdsong turned to one of his political heroes, Malcolm X, and he decided, like Malcolm, that progress comes from militants, careful strategizing, and a stubborn unwillingness to concede. Also like Malcolm X, Birdsong pulled himself out of a rough life on the streets of Lansing and in prison. When he was younger, he joined the Bloods, a primarily black street gang founded in Los Angeles. He was actually kind of a leader among his crew of people. And I wasn't even the oldest one out of us. I was the one. You know, I was a little skinny, but they all followed behind me. Uh, then, when I got locked up, like, literally, I ran where I was at. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Like I was like the one nobody wanted to mess with. So it was kind of, and I didn't really, like I wasn't all super huge, and, you know, I don't know why, man. I, I don't know why, but since I was a kid, man, people just gravitate towards me and they follow me. And despite how ugly I was as a kid, like with the whole gang stuff, you know, like despite how 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 uh, mean I was or malicious I was and, and violent I was, because I hated everybody, you know, literally I hated everybody. See how you're looking at me right now? I would have attacked you for looking at me for more than a couple seconds. You know what I'm saying? So. Like, that's just how it was. And I can't really, I think I was like that because I didn't like myself. I didn't like my parents. I didn't like how I grew up. I didn't like the stuff around me. And my dad was always instilling fight, 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 fight in me. And so that's just all I wanted to do all the time was just fight everything and everything. Birdsong's life ended up getting ugly enough that he was banned from the community for a while. He ended up in prison and racked up four different inmate ID numbers. And by the time he got out, People were scared of him, and they didn't want him to hang around. They didn't want the bloods around, and they didn't want to see him. They, they ended up rejecting me because that's how ugly my past was. I, my past was ugly enough where if I walk into certain churches and the pastor sees me, he's going to look like that, and they, they'll be cool, and after service, they ask me not to come back. You know what I'm saying? Because there's that fear. If he's here, the rest of them going to come. You know what I'm saying? And they follow his orders. You see what I'm saying? So, you know... That's part of the reason why I don't have a bunch of us here. I don't want them to take what we're doing and spin it and make it about the bloods. You see what I'm saying? I don't want any, I, right now I don't stand here as a blood, I stand here as a man. You see what I'm saying? And when those cops did what they did, they lost, the, I believe every cop that took place in lobbying that expired tear gas at people, right? I believe that they should lose that badge. Birdsong emphasized that criminals should be treated like criminals. That includes him, and it also includes cops. He said that once a cop starts using excessive force, they aren't a cop anymore. They're a criminal. He said that once Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd, he wasn't a cop. He was just a murderer. When Birdsong looks out over the crowd of protesters gathered before him, he doesn't feel happy. He doesn't feel joy. He doesn't feel inspired. He just feels worried. After all, if he didn't lay down on that Monday night, then these people wouldn't even be here. Maybe they'd be here under the guidance of some other leader, but for Birdsong, they're his responsibility now, and he takes it seriously. He wants to keep them safe, and he wants their voices to be heard. It makes me feel like I got work to do, and I better be very careful to do it the right way. That's all it makes. It makes me feel responsible, and it makes me feel like I got to be very careful. Honestly, I don't feel no joy. I won't feel any joy until they're convicted. The charges stick, they're in prison. Till, they're, till they have an inmate number and they're in a the cell, all four of them, I won't feel any type of happiness. And even then I won't feel happiness, I'll feel slight relief. But I know even after that's achieved, we got a lot of work to do. To help build his movement, Birdsong has been making connections. Every day he makes sure to add everybody who's there at the protest on Facebook if they aren't already friends. It's a way for him to keep in touch, a way for them to spread articles about their protests, a way for them to know when the next event is coming up. He's made sure to create a vast network of people who show up with him every day. Birdsong has been protesting for over a week now. Typically, about 50 to 200 people show up, depending on the day. Sometimes there's media there, sometimes there isn't. Still, he refuses to stop, and so do the people who are following him. 
they're going to keep going until Mayor Andy Shore resigns or they see some major changes in the police department. Uh, I'm getting Facebook requests and, and Instagram requests all day and people sending me messages that I don't know and I have to try to figure out who everybody is and where I, where they see me at. And as yeah. people are like, hi, send me the message, hi. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> yeah, who are you? You know what I'm saying? So I had to adjust over the last 24 hours to understand that I'm going to be communicated with by a bunch of people I do not know. Yeah. And then, you know, I have to act accordingly. You know what I'm saying? So um, even today, after today, I'm going to give everybody my Facebook. So if something happens and I can't come, if I come earlier, if I come later, I want them to be able to know. I want to be accountable to people if they're following me. You know what I'm saying? Right. One peculiarity of Birdsong's protests is that drinking and smoking are banned. Absolutely. If Birdsong sees you drinking, he'll ask you to go away or get rid of it. And if he smells you smoking weed, you better look out. He's got a great nose for it, and the second he smells it, he will tell you to put it out or get away. It happened, and I did it because they were on the Capitol stairs, which would make that illegal, um, even if weed is legal. And I didn't want to give the police any loot. I didn't want to give them any leverage. Like, we could stand in front of them and point our middle fingers at them and grab our nut sacks. But if we smoke weed on state property, they can get get us. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, don't give them the opportunity to shut us down, you know? And like I said earlier, the protests have remained peaceful and they haven't really given the police any leverage. The other day, they were going to set up a tent on the Capitol lawn, but they found out that would be a violation of the rules of the Capitol grounds, so they decided not to do it. They didn't want to get in trouble over something as little as a tent, and they really don't want to get in trouble over something as little as a joint. Their one intimidation tactic is perfectly legal. They love to carry guns. Usually at these protests, there's about four or five guns going around, and the number increases every day. They said that they hold them to make sure that nobody messes with them, and that people know that they're taking this very seriously. There's a lot more of us here than you think there are. There's a lot more of us that are legally armed than you think there are. There's a lot more of us that are willing to go crazy than you think there are. And and the way to fix that isn't to try to fight with us, because you're gonna get to a point where you're gonna keep throwing tear gas at people, and the guys that are sitting at home with legal firearms and shit that are tired of it are gonna come out and start shooting back. You see what I'm saying? So, and and, and I, arguably, if you look at all of the, um, and there's gonna be a lot of whites that are armed to the teeth. You know, NRA people, Michigan people that don't don't fear the police, that are well well more armed than the National Guard. They're gonna, gonna start fighting back. So. The thing, the way to stop that is, is not to throw tear gas at us, you know, not not to uh, try to restrain us or restrict us. The way to do it is to stop us from being brutalized and murdered. Birdsong and his group of protesters meet at the Capitol typically every day at 4 p.m. For City Pulse, this has been Cole Tunningly. Thank you, Cole. And please check into uh, Lansing City Pulse on a daily basis for updates on the protests and other news related to the killing of Minneapolis resident George Floyd. Now, as we do every week, let me uh, bring in uh, MSU political scientist Matt Grossman to talk about the 2020 presidential campaign.
Matt, what political developments have caught your attention since uh, we talked last week? Well, we got some uh, worrying signs about election administration uh, this year in Georgia's election on on Tuesday. And some of the things that uh, occurred, like difficulties getting everyone an absentee ballot and uh, long lines at the polls, especially in minority precincts, are are all things that we could we could see repeated uh, in November. Uh, of course, in Georgia, uh, we're, uh, we saw quite a meltdown, uh, and I imagine there are uh, states and localities all across the country with new equipment. Uh, any concerns? Yeah, I think we I think we should uh, be concerned about November, um, not just from the new equipment, which was obviously a problem, but from uh, difficulties recruiting uh, poll workers uh, in the middle of a pandemic, difficulties getting absentee ballots to everyone who requests one in a in a in a case where we're going to be seeing a whole lot more uh, male uh, voters. Um, and so and, you know, obviously in a low stakes uh, primary election, um, it, it doesn't make a huge uh, difference. But when it comes to November, especially when combined with the fact that we're likely to see results trickle in after Election Day uh, does does worry me. Uh, let's talk about what happened in the election in Georgia once they were able to get the votes counted. Uh, we've had a Democrat who seems to have the incumbent Republican uh, Purdue uh, Senator Purdue on the run. Well, the uh, the the Senate elections um, do seem to be expanding. Uh, the, the Democrats do seem to be expanding the map. Uh, uh, they are not only competitive in the three or four states that we knew they would be competitive in, but they're uh, obviously competitive in places like North Carolina. And then they're uh, added to that are places like Montana and Georgia, uh, where they have a real chance. So. As Biden uh, expands his map, I uh, expect uh, the Senate Democrats to have more places to, to take back the majority. Uh, Texas, uh, I'm reading, is uh, developing into a battleground state. How, how shocking is that? Well, I think it, it's not necessarily shocking that um, if Biden wins by eight points nationally, where he's up in, in some polls right now, that you would start to see states like Texas uh, become competitive. The question is whether you'll actually see those states kind of overtake uh, the other swing states like Michigan um, in, in importance uh, if there's a changing demographics of the voters or changing uh, turnout. Um, the one candidate for that so far is not Texas, but Arizona. Um, with North Carolina and Georgia, both, I would say, moving ahead of Texas in terms of their, not in terms of their um, likelihood of, of going, but their likelihood of being kind of the pivotal state in who wins the presidency. So Arizona especially does seem to be moving Democratic and in a high turnout election uh, could be even more likely to be Democratic than, than some of the swing states last time. Uh, let's uh, turn our attention to some very current events in the last uh, few weeks, as uh, as we uh, have seen President Trump uh, crack down on protesters for a photo op, and uh, now his uh, uh, his, uh, his uh, singly is saying that. Uh, there are only some bad apples among police, and uh, but yet we see the public 
going, it seems, in an opposite direction. Uh, where, where do you think this is headed in this election? Yeah, of course, that's actually a normal phenomenon that the public goes in the opposite direction to the party of the presidency. Uh, we call it a thermostatic backlash. Um, but this is, you know, when the when the president's moving uh, conservative, the public tends to move liberal um, and vice versa, like we saw under Obama. But uh, this uh, phenomenon is uh, much uh, bigger and more specific than that. We have had a huge uh, turnaround in the last two weeks in support for Black Lives Matter and in support for the protesters. Um, and that, that seems to me uh, to not just be about the president, but to be about the way the media coverage has changed since the last time this came up, a lot more sympathetic to the protesters. Um, for example, the last spike in mentions of Black Lives Matter in TV and uh, print journalism was around uh, the Dallas police officer shootings right before the 2016 Republican convention. So obviously that was a, a very negative portrayal of Black Lives Matter in association with uh, police killings. And that was the last big spike in coverage. So contrast that uh, to the last two weeks where, yes, there was initial coverage of looting and continues to be more coverage of looting uh, on places like Fox News. Uh, but overall, the media has been much more sympathetic uh, to the protesters, and thus uh, so has the public. Any thoughts on whether uh, Trump's base is shrinking because of this? Well, we do have to be careful about something called um, – a partisan response bias, which just means that is it the case that Republicans are uh, moving against Trump or is it the case that Republicans are less likely to respond to polls now that Trump is doing things that, that look bad? And it is mostly the first, um, but because there is some potential for the latter, we want to be a little bit careful if, say, polls shift, you know, 10 points, that that might um, reflect some of that who's responding to polls rather than changes in opinion. Um, but I think uh, it is it is true uh, that uh, Donald Trump um, has repeatedly relied on a base mobilization strategy, and that just doesn't work um, in an election where he needs some swing voters. He needs to retain those Obama-Trump uh, voters uh, and the Republican coalition. And, um, you know, it doesn't work in an election where he's stimulating more interest, engagement, and possibly turnout on the opposite side than he's engaging on his own side. Uh, the Democratic uh, the presumptive nominee, uh, former Vice President Biden, uh, seemed to get uh, some attention this last week, particularly for uh, going to Houston where he met uh, with uh, George Floyd's family. Uh, what's your take on how uh, Biden is doing? Well, as we as we've talked about, um, you know, silence is, is not necessarily a horrible <laughs> strategy when your opponent is uh, sort of doing himself uh, <clears throat> in, as um, some people think Trump is doing. Um, but there was some new um, political science research. There was some new research uh, that suggested uh, that. Uh, a lot of people already know uh, what their opinions of Trump, but most people do not know much about Joe Biden, even people who are uh, supporting him. And thus, um, there does seem to be some evidence. Um, they, they tested 125 different uh, messages uh, to see what moved uh, voters. And what they found is that the messages about Joe Biden are much more likely to change people's votes uh, and their views than messages about Donald Trump. And the simple reason for that is that 
people don't know anything about Joe Biden. So uh, both positive and negative information about Joe Biden is more influential than um, messages that just reinforce what people already know about Donald Trump. And so it'll be interesting to see if uh, the Democratic campaign, um, we know the Republican campaign will shift at some point to negatives about Joe Biden. It'll be interesting to see if the Democrats uh, shift toward positive things about Biden. Surprised to hear there are people who don't know something about Joe Biden, but uh, I'll take your word for it. Matt Grossman, thank you so much for being on City Pulse. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Matt will be back with us next week for more on the 2020 presidential campaign. You're listening to 89FM, The Impact. I'm Burl. Well, that's our program for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back with a new one next week. Until then, for City Pulse, I'm Burl Schwartz.